Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and this is the part of the week where we read back some of the messages that you've sent in over the past couple of weeks, uh, having to do with episodes on Pacific Island navigation, uh, queuing and waiting for things, and, uh, oh, I think there's a good one on Fata Morgana and some stuff about Weird House Cinema. Uh, Rob, do you want to do this one from Chelsea? Sure. Uh, Chelsea says, I was just listening to part two of the waiting in line episode and wanted to bring up the schoolyard phenomenon of back cutting. This occurs when a line exists and a cutter wants to be in line next to a friend so they can chat during the wait. The cutter asks to cut the friend, but the friend replies, no, but you can back cut me. And the cutter joins the line right in back of the friend, hence back cut. I remember this as being like a situation of like, uh, I will allow you to get in front of me. And then that person obliges by letting you get in front of them, uh-huh. uh, which, you know, is is not an, an honest way to go about things. Of course uh, not. But it, it kind of matches up with that sort of childhood level of figuring out how to blatantly uh, cheat and how to blatantly bend the rules in your favor uh, mm-hmm. in ways that, that you know, aren't going to fly outside of elementary school. Uh, anyway, uh, they continue. Thus, the friend gets to hang out with their buddy without changing their spot in the line. The cutter gets to cut, and the person right behind them can't ultimately do anything about it. The person behind may protest about being cut, but the reply from the friend would be that they didn't front cut you, they back cut me, and that was the end of it. And I will add that this is kind of ingenious in that we, one of the things we discussed in queuing is that it's the person that immediately was cut in front of that has the most like responsibility of outrage. Mm-hmm. And you're already putting them in a position where they're not going up against one cutter, but a cutter and a co-conspirator. So they're already mm-hmm. outnumbered in this scenario. Right. And I think it's interesting that we internalize that as thinking of uh, cutting in line as a, a, an offense primarily against the person right behind you where you cut. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's affecting everybody else in line, right? Yeah. Everybody else behind that point in line has now been cut in front of. Um, but I think because of this social convention where it's the person directly behind the intrusion point who has the obligation – we somehow naturally see it as like purely an offense against them personally. And yet, obviously, I mean, like I think from the rest of Chelsea's email, it's clear that even kids intuit that there's something wrong with this. Yeah. Like you could easily get out of control where if you joined a line and then you just announce that you will now be back cutting everyone, Uh you know, everybody can back cut anyway. uh, Yeah. They continue as the person behind them. I always felt conflicted because whether the cutter was right before or right after their friend had no impact on my wait time, but having the cutter right in front of me felt like my special societal role as the person immediately behind the cutter had been usurped by the friend. I have been cut and it had been sanctioned. And there wasn't anything I could do about it. I think this was more common with the popular kids, but I may well have engaged in it myself, despite not having that many friends. None of us are the angels we think we were. I grew up in California, and I'm curious to know how widespread the term phenomenon is. I remember it being relatively common in elementary school, occasionally in middle school, and non-existent in high school. The bit of child lore, no cuts, no butts, no coconuts, is, uh, was also pretty common and was extra amusing in elementary school, 
because of the butts homophone, but that is the obvious best thing uh, to grace an anti-cutting poster. Keep up the good work, guys. I appreciate being engaged and amused as you by you both as I walk my dog and do housework. I am not a fan of horror movies, but the Weird House episodes are great fun. Chelsea. Uh, P.S. Nearly every time Seth's full name is mentioned in the broadcast, I repeat his name in my head is Death Nicholas Johnson. His October alter ego haunts me year round. Oh, well, that warms my heart. So I definitely got this when I was uh, when I was uh, in elementary school, but I don't remember it being called back cutting. I remember the phrase front seat, back seat. Uh, did, did you ever encounter that? Um, I don't think I encountered that one. I think that's more what you were talking about. It's like the person cuts in front of their friend and then their friend cuts right back in front of them. So it's effectively the same thing. Somebody just getting behind you in line. But anyway, the other thing you say, Chelsea, which I think is absolutely true, is yes, the popular kids are more likely to do this. Kids at the elementary school period are much more blatant about operating on the basis of uh, of uh, thinking that their elevated social status just grants them rights that other people don't have. People, adults behave that way too, but they try to sort of hide it more. They make it. They come up with systems of making it look like that's not what's going on. Right. I think a part of this is sort of the the childhood awareness of how unfair systems exist, but mm-hmm. then the not getting the nuance of it, you know, yeah. like, like gross injustices happen uh, every day, all day, uh, but not all of them are out in the open. Uh, a lot of the, the times they, they are hidden uh, in, in ways that are not apparent in this example of, uh, of back cutting. Speaking of uh, cutting based on on social status and, and hierarchy, uh, I'm, I'm going to read this next message from Jordan. So Jordan says, Dear Rob and Joe, I've been listening to the show for a couple of years, uh, and I love being able to idly learn while I work. I've really enjoyed the recent series on queuing because while I've never really given much thought to it, I know that I typically hate doing it. I can't remember if you discussed queuing in animals or I just missed it, but I have seen it performed in horses. Hmm. I work on a nonprofit wild horse rescue ranch in California where we have over a hundred in our care. On the hot summer days of the California desert, it's not uncommon to see a half dozen horses at a watering trough at once. While typically there is plenty of room for multiple horses to access the water at once, I have witnessed a line forming to get a drink. The difference is that horses adhere to a very strict, quote, pecking order, and the one at the top gets to drink first. Regardless of when they join the queue, they go to the front. In the case of line integrity you mentioned, if an individual lower in the pecking order tries to line jump, the one behind will almost always run them out of the line, while the horses ahead seem to pay no mind to what is going on behind them. It's very interesting to see this play out with non-human animals and makes me think that perhaps queuing is more instinctual than one may have originally thought. I've attached a photo of a line forming among our older residents for you to check out. And then Jordan... Uh, does indeed attach a photo here of what looks like four horses lining up to get to a big container of water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. This is, yeah, great point. I would say the big thing that's different between what you highlight here and, and our uh, queuing conventions is the the principle that orders access. Uh, obviously, in all kinds of uh, animal system, in like the animal kingdom, there will be lots of ways of ordering access. But as you highlight uh, here, it tends to be a, a very 
just directly and purely unfair pecking order based on some kind of hierarchy that's understood by the horses, some kind of dominance thing. Whereas a lot of what we were talking about was the social convention of first in, first out ordering. And it doesn't matter if you get to the line and you think you're better than everybody else in line. They, you know, They're not going to just say, oh, yeah, that's right. You're better than us. You can go to the front. Oh, and then finally at the end, Jordan says, love the show, and I have to say, I really miss regular invention episodes. Keep up the great work, guys, and much love from Callie. Um, that, I think that's California, not a person named Callie. Uh, C-A-L-I. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Glad to hear you liked the invention episodes. So we still do them from time to time, just not every week, uh, yeah, as we, I guess you note. Yeah, we can't offer regular invention episodes, but we can offer the next best thing, irregular invention episodes. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and we actually have, I believe we have an invention episode coming up really soon, or at least we've been talking about doing one on a particular invention topic. So, um, they'll, they'll keep, we enjoy doing invention based episodes. So they're, they're definitely not going away. They just, uh, they're in the rotation at this point. Right. All right. This one comes to us from uh, Nan. Nan writes, uh, hi, Joe and Robert. I've been a fan of the show for a few years now and have especially enjoyed your recent series on queuing. When you discuss the ambiguity involved in most cases of line cutting, particularly taking another person's parking space, it made me reconsider a time when I confronted another driver who took my spot. I was waiting to turn left into a parking space at Costco while a pedestrian crossed my path and another driver turned into my intended spot as his passenger looked at me and grinned sheepishly (laughs) after i finally parked i saw the family from the other car and waddled my seven-month pregnant body over to them and chewed them out about their automotive sins the driver claimed he didn't see me your podcast made me reconsider whether the other driver really hadn't seen me and whether i should have tried to be more genteel in my approach despite my raging prenatal hormones i didn't run into the family again while inside the warehouse which leads me to believe i terrified them so much that they left without finishing their shopping trip after Listening to your discussion, <laughs> I'll definitely try to sh- uh, slow my roll moving forward and acknowledge the ambiguity in line cutting situations. Thanks for, uh, as always, for providing such interesting food for thought and expanding my perspective on everyday situations. Always your fan, Nan. Well, Nan, glad to hear about your your broadening consciousness on this, but also, you know, don't feel bad. We've all we've all had moments. Obviously, when when somebody does cut in the parking lot. He, even though your your like broader mind from a distance, you know the the astral level consciousness would look down on you and say, "Don't overreact." In the moment, it's hard not to. Yeah. All right. This next message uh, concerns both Fata Morgana, which is a slightly older episode, and Weird House Cinema. This is this is a great email. So this is from John, and John says, "Hi, Robert and Joe." Uh, This email is about an older episode, but I was reminded of it the other day in a funny way. Right now, I'm doing ecology work in a remote field camp in the Alaskan Arctic, right by the coast of the Beaufort Sea. We're two miles from the coast, but the tundra is flat enough that for most of the summer, we've been able to see the sea ice on the Arctic Ocean as it stacks up against the small barrier islands to the north. Anyway, as a co-worker and I were walking across the tundra to a study area, we started talking about the ice, and I had to recommend your Fata Morgana episode to her. Even though the sea ice only builds up to piles about 10 to 20 feet high against the barrier islands, for much of the summer I've been able to step out of my tent, look north, and see a Game of Thrones-style ice wall stretching across the coast. 
It looks like a long, tall, white barrier separating the land from the ocean, like the supposed polar ice walls in some flat earther theories. I've attached a picture of the illusion for reference in front of one of our study areas. Yeah, this is really impressive, this image. It does, in fact, look like a, yeah, like a Game of Thrones-style ice wall. Yeah, the others are coming. The optical illusions don't end there. We also get islands stretched and floating above the ground, a similar cloud wall to the west, sun dogs, and even a vertical stretching of the Brooks Range Mountains to the south, resulting in what looks like an Arctic version of Monument Valley, and another picture is attached. Uh, and this one is even more interesting because it has... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't even describe what this looks like. It, they're kind of stacked up and distorted vertically with these ripples that look like, I don't know, big tubes or waves coming out of the land. Mm -hmm. John goes on. It's super cool to see how the high latitude optical effects can dramatically distort how things look. And as you've mentioned before, makes it easier to understand why sailors claim to see fantastic things like castles floating above the horizon. My coworker really enjoyed the episode because she also works at McMurdo Station in Antarctica, where they sometimes see icebergs and utility trucks flipped and molded like putty by tricks of the light. Uh, and then there are pictures attached of Fata Morgana acting on the ice field and on utility vehicles around McMurdo in, in Antarctica. Uh, again, looks very cool. And then finally... On a separate note, one of the minor challenges of working up here is the constant sunlight interfering with sleep. But your Weird House Cinema episodes, while interesting, have helped me drift off even when it's 1 a.m. and still light out. In particular, your Devil's Express episode has been an excellent sleep aid on several brightly lit nights. <laughs> also, my whole field crew watched Troll 2 together and absolutely loved it. For several weeks this summer, a remote monitoring device with the six-digit code NILBOG kept watch over the Arctic tundra, thanks in no small part to your tireless B-movie advocacy. Thanks for all the fun and thought-provoking conversations. Sincerely, John. Look at that troll, too, keeping people alive. Is this a life support device, or is this a <laughs> – this may be a piece of scientific equipment. Well, yeah, but <laughs> keeping people on, on track, keeping right, okay. people on the job. I don't know. Um, <laughs> It's been a while since we've heard from someone who who goes to sleep with the episode that uses uh, our episodes as a sleep aid, and I'm always I'm always interested to hear that, and glad that we uh, we can help you uh, you know achieve uh, you know proper level of sleep. Oh yeah, totally. We we would never take it personally. People are always very nice. They're always like, uh, I use your episodes to sleep, but not because they're boring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I want to close out with uh, part of a, a listener mail here from James. Uh, James wrote in uh, basically to share with us uh, an Atlantic article by uh, Ed Yong, uh, Ed, and this one was about uh, uh, monitor lizards in Australia um, digging incredible corkscrew nests. Uh, I haven't read this one yet, but uh, I'm going to put it on the to-read list. Uh, mm -hmm. I mainly wanted to read James's uh, email, though, because he weighs in on a, on a, on a popular uh, intellectual pastime of ours and, and uh, on a pastime of our listeners, trying to figure out why Sean Connery's character has a Scottish accent in Highlander. Solve the mystery, James. <laughs> well, James, James does have an interesting hypothesis here. He says, uh, quote, Also, Sean Connery's Scottish accent in Highlander is from beheading a Scottish immortal and acquiring his English language through the quickening accent and all. Thank you for your fantastic podcast, James. It's pretty good. Pretty good. I'm, I don't know. I'm what satisfied. I... Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, what is the quickening for if it is not for acquiring things like like language? I don't know. This also leads into <laughs> what, what is the quickening for? <laughs> well, it's about power and uh, uh-huh. you know amassing that okay. power. And I don't know. It's explained in the film, uh, but. Okay. But this does bring up uh, something I was thinking about just uh, uh, in the background the other day, and it's something I've thought about before. The immortals in the Highlander movies, to what extent are they capable of change? Are they capable? Mm. Do they have neuroplasticity? You know, can they truly acquire new languages uh, or do they or is James right? Do they only acquire these things through the quickening? Is it only by uh, absorbing the power and maybe to some extent the intellect uh, of others that they are able to adapt? Otherwise, are they just always going to because like the Kurgan, the Kurgan's always the Kurgan. You don't get a sense that he's really changed much. He's just updated his look a little bit and learned how to drive a vehicle. Uh, but otherwise, he's he's still Kurgan to the core. See, that's a lesson to all of us. If you're not willing to learn, grow, and change as an adult, you become the Kirkin. Yeah. But uh, meanwhile, I mean, uh, Connor McLeod, I mean, he, in a sense, he's still the sweet lad he always was. Mm-hmm. But I guess there is a sense that he's grown and he's learned. You know, he's had to wrestle with loss and move through it, uh, certainly in ways that the Kurgan never has had to. So uh, maybe that's ultimately what, uh, what, uh, what, uh, what the film is trying to say to us. Here we are. All right, we're going to go ahead and close the mailbag for today, but we'd love to hear from you about any of the topics we discussed here, about recent episodes, upcoming episodes, long past episodes. I mean, I don't know, Fata Morgana, I didn't even feel like that one was that old. I feel like we just recorded that one, so I was a little shocked to, to hear that one referred to as an older episode, but I guess that's just how time works now. Yeah, I guess it's a few months at this time. Yeah? I don't know. Yeah. It depends on how you look. It's all relative. Uh, anyway, so write in. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.